spending time around children and observing children, whether it's your own or someone else's, like study them, study how they operate, study how when they make a quote unquote mistake or when they fall down, they don't shame themselves, especially at a young, young age. When a child shames himself or herself, and you know whether they make a mistake on the playground or they make a mistake, I don't know, doing something, like they just get back up and get right after it. But it's through programming and what we've, we've driven into them, that's when the shame, that's when the inner critic comes out. Welcome to the PATH Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Would you call yourself a perfectionist? Holy smokes, I know I would. And this is the theme of today's podcast. We're going to be unpacking the perfectionist dilemma. Being a perfectionist can be a huge asset in life. However, if unchecked or when acted out in unhealthy levels or in unhealthy ways, it can be a debilitating force in our life and carry a very heavy weight, which is why we're going to unpack this today. And we're going to utilize concepts and information from the Enneagram to help us understand this at a much deeper level. Let's get into the show. When it comes to the idea or the theme of perfectionism, I've got more examples of how this has shown up in a negative way, for example, than probably more fingers on my hands, more toes on my feet, more eyelashes on my eyes, more hairs on the top of my head. It's been something that since uh, a young, young, young man, I, I can really resonate with. And so I've got so many examples. I'll be sharing a few during this show. But really, we want to unpack today this, this theme of perfectionism. And of course, there's a light and a shadow to everything. We're going to be focusing more on the shadow aspect. So how does perfectionism, for example, maybe show up in hidden ways in your life? And how might it be a blind spot? And also, how might it be negatively affecting aspects of your life? Now, I imagine if you resonate with being a perfectionist or having aspects of that in your personality, maybe it shows up more in your work, your relationship with your intimate partner, or how you relate to yourself or your health. Uh, it might show up more in any one of those areas, or likely if it's in one, it's probably present in others, even if it's more hidden. And I really resonate with this for a number of reasons. Now, let me just say that in today's podcast, we're going to be utilizing um, some context from the Enneagram. And I'll explain exactly why to unpack this at a deeper level. Now, Jason Olivier, who is the creator of the Inner Compass Enneagram system, he's been a guest twice on the path. Fantastic episodes utilizing the Enneagram for understanding mental and emotional suffering and also utilizing it as a tool to improve us as leaders. And the reason why I'm utilizing it for today's context is whether you have or haven't listened to those shows, the Enneagram is essentially a personality typing system that blends ancient wisdom with modern psychology. Now, there's nine different personality types within the Enneagram system. And probably the thing or one of the things that I appreciate most about my studies with Jason, uh, he's been my personal coach for the last few years, and we've worked one-on-one -on -one almost every single week for now, I think, well over a year consistently. And it's all been focused on the Enneagram. Now, in his system, which I appreciate once again, 
He details how we have all nine types within us. Every single type is within us to different degrees, and we utilize them as strategies for different reasons. However, we each have one core type. So one type that is associated or connected with specific driving motivations in life that we've learned as young as you can even imagine, even towards 18 months old. And then a few years later, this stuff starts developing or starts maybe solidifying is, is a better word, especially as the nervous system of the infant begins to mature. And then there's this subject-object relationship that starts developing. I am different than the cup. I am different than the light. I am different than the rug. I'm getting to witness this firsthand through Luca because as his nervous system and his consciousness develops, he's starting to differentiate between himself and the outside world and really developing that subject-object relationship. Now, within these nine types, again, that we have all of them within us, the core type that I am is the type one. And which is not surprisingly the perfectionist. And you could think about each type as, as an archetype. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to it that way sometimes as well, because sometimes it can be easier to unpack it and understand it. And so within the perfectionist, there is, um, well, one, let's just say for the sake of today's show, the way I'm going to define perfectionism is the pursuit of flawlessness, more or less. And within the Enneagram type one, there's a core belief there's a core fear, and then there's a core a, a shame associated with that type. Now, for the perfectionist, the type one, also known as the improver, the moralist, um, the idealist as well, it, it can also be known as. But the core driving belief for the archetype of the perfectionist within the Enneagram system is that I am imperfect or there is something wrong with me. That is the core belief that drives so much. Then the core fear is the fear of making mistakes. And then the core shame is that the shame of being bad, evil, or corrupt. So those three components, that belief, that shame, and that fear, make up the driving motivations, the driving belief structure of the type one and the perfectionist. And that's really, really important because until we start diving deeper in terms of why are we the way that we are? Why do we behave the way that we behave? This is how self-sabotage patterns can continually show up repetitively in life. And no matter how much we try to, to uh, improve, to fix whatever you want to say or to remedy, we keep falling back. Or procrastination, for example, we keep falling back to the same thing because we haven't really addressed or put time, energy, care, and exploration into understanding what's actually driving that belief system. And then also, how did it form? Where did we learn it uh, growing up? You know, within the type one in the Enneagram system, there is, uh, now this is not, let me just say, this is not the reason for why this perfectionist or the type one develops in childhood, but it tends to be a common theme observed with people with this core type. And it's this theme that shows up that typically people with a core type one from a very young age, had to assume at some level adult responsibility. And oftentimes they assume the role of the father or whatever that, that symbolized for them or that person. And so there was almost this way of behaving or acting in life that I'll give the example for myself that I have to police myself so much so that nobody else will police 
I will police me. So for example, I'm going to father myself at such a high level that no one else is going to find anything wrong with me. And you know, that, that comes with a weight that comes with consequences. Now, what I've really experienced and not surprisingly, probably about 60 to 70% of my coaching clients and the people showing up to my programs, I mean, not all, but by and large, they're people with a core type one. Doing this Enneagram system is something that now I do before any work that someone comes in. And so I, I get to see very regularly the reflections of this. And so I get to work on myself in this regard. Sometimes it's overwhelming because I'm like, Jesus, I'm like face to face, like through every client with aspects of myself that are just like right in my face. And it can feel honestly, whether you're a core type one or not, doesn't matter. But if you resonate with being a perfectionist or having excessive perfectionist tendencies to the extent that they hold you back or limit you in life, it can feel like a heavy weight. It can feel like we got a freaking backpack full of rocks that keep getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Now, once again, until we understand the belief structure, the belief system that is driving it, it can be very, very hard to begin bringing healing to it from a long-term perspective. Now, some of the, the light side of the perfectionist tendencies and or let's just say the type one is at their best people with a core type or let's just say an elevated one within the Enneagram, they tend to be very discerning, very wise, very principled, very fair. Uh, they have a strong inner code. Uh, they tend to see the world more so in black and white, right and wrong, maybe less so with gray. Now the shadow side, and this is really what I want to dive into, especially for today, the shadow side are some of the negative characteristics of someone with a high level of a perfectionist tendency, specifically as a type one, is, man, they have a hard inner critic, harsh inner critic. So that inner judge of self and others is very strong. Now that is the weight that I'm talking about. And perfectionist tendencies from the perspective of also, again, uh, it costing uh, the way that we experience life. Now, that judgment of self and others, that sometimes with an Enneagram one, we will be judging the shit out of others in the world and ourselves. But especially as it comes to others, there may be like reluctancy or hesitation in sharing that. I'm going to use one example. So within our, within our home, Lauren is, I would say, the, I think Jason uses, uses this word with him and his lady, C-H-O, the chief home officer. So Lauren, I do my best to help, but she was really amazing around the house and, and is an incredible cook. And I definitely need to step up in some of these areas. But with regards to doing the dishes uh, and putting stuff in the dishwasher, I've got a very orderly system of how I like it. I like the cups on one side. I like the spatulas on one side. I like the plates stacked a certain way. And so when you look at the dishwasher and you see me do it, it's very orderly. And she does it, you know, well, she does it according to her, but it's not how I would do it. And I remember one day when I was walking by, <laughs> I looked in the dishwasher and she's like, geez, you're judging the heck out of me. And I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything. And she's like, you don't even have to say anything. I can feel you. And I was like, wow, that's so accurate and true. And so whether it's outwardly expressed or not, oftentimes, as type ones, we judge the shit out of the world because there's going back to that belief system, the core belief that I am imperfect or that there is something wrong with me. That is also exactly how we view the world. 
So there is, there is uh, the world is imperfect and or there's something wrong with the world and others. And so that's why there's such a deep drive to improve, to fix, to perfect self and others because there's we're looking through the world through a lens or through a filter. So imagine if we all we all wear specific uh, color-tinted glasses. So let's just say for the Enneagram type one, we wear uh, primarily as, as, again, the driving theme. We have them all in us, but there's one that drives. And then how we utilize all the other types are essentially compensation strategies to almost like be the pain salve over the wound of that belief system that we've experienced. And so if we view the world as imperfect or the world that, that, that there's something wrong with the world, then the way that we predominantly act, especially unconsciously, now a lot of this, some of it's conscious for sure, but a lot of it is unconsciously driven. We don't know it's happening. In fact, uh, when we wake up, we all wear these colored glasses. And so maybe for the Enneagram type one, again, not maybe, for the Enneagram type one, we see the world and self as imperfect. For the Enneagram type two, the archetype is of the helper. The Enneagram type three, the achiever. The Enneagram type four, the individualist. The Enneagram type five, uh, the investigator. The Enneagram type six, the loyal skeptic. The Enneagram type seven, uh, the adventurer, the enthusiast. The type eight, which is the challenger or the boss. The type nine, which is the peacekeeper, the peacemaker. So every single one of these archetypes has a driving set of motivations, a fear, desire, shame, and a belief. And so that is how people orientate themselves primarily. So when I wake up, especially if I'm not aware that, the, that, that I'm being activated or triggered within this belief system, I wake up and unconsciously aim to improve myself in the world, which is also why almost at every given time I'm in one to three courses. I'm always learning. Now, I want to kind of spread some seeds of ways that you can support yourself if you find yourself in this debilitating perfectionist tendency and or if you have an elevated one or you are a core as a core type one within the Enneagram system. And the first is to understand and have the awareness that that is your belief system or that is the, that is a driving belief system in your life and you are orientating yourself towards that and it's coming from a sense of lack. And so, for example, if I'm aiming to improve myself, that's beautiful. I think that's, I think that's again, according to my values, I think that's a beautiful trait. I want to improve. I want to be the best version of myself. However, there's a very different energy, for example, if I'm doing so uh, or for example, if I'm studying and sharing the wisdom that I'm gaining and learning, for example, if I'm doing so out of this just genuine desire to share and to contribute to the world and to uh, share from a place that, from a place that um, emotionally and mentally that my cup is already full, as opposed to I'm improving myself, I'm fixing self, I'm trying to quote unquote fix others because and it stems because it stems from a sense of lack. So I am not enough fully as who I am. And so I'm going to take this course because somehow it's going to fill some void in me. And that is that perpetual cycle. That's when self-sabotage, that, that's when we can continually take course after course after course and continually have this imposter syndrome that we're never good enough, when in fact, you're probably one of the leaders in your space or in your industry. So one is to understand and have the awareness of the driving belief system behind it. Two is tuning into the energy of, of like, what's the energy of it? Is it coming from a place of lack or is it coming from a place of abundance? What's the story driving it? 
Um, then I would say is asking yourself, is it really true? Is it really true that, for example, this project that you're working on isn't good enough? It doesn't meet the standard, for example, or isn't in alignment with your values, or are you just nitpicking to nitpick? You know, for example, in one of the last episodes I did, we discussed, um, uh, it was something to the effect around courses. So like diving deep into business and creating a profitable online course. And in that podcast, I had shared my first program, Mastering the Kettlebell. Uh, I spent 13 months creating it and it was uh, over 400 videos and we shot it three times. And so over those 13 months, it was the primary project I was working on. I was doing very limited one-on-ones outside of it. So for 13 months, I really didn't have much at all income, which was really stressful because I hadn't prepared for that. And then the fact that we shot it three times, I'm sorry, not twice. So imagine shooting almost 400 videos three times and I still, part of me wasn't happy with it at the end. And it was such a, uh, it's so clear now looking back almost six years ago, I'm like, wow, wow, like... It was an insatiable drive within me of that sense of lack, that sense of this program is imperfect, this program. And and the problem with that is no matter how many times I shot it, it was still not good enough and still not good enough. And so one, we have to be realistic, like what's true uh, when this stuff is actually kind of just getting out of hand. And we need to be called on this stuff or call ourselves on this stuff. And we need to have an understanding of of just simply what is good enough. Like sometimes perfection is the enemy of progress because there's never this good enough. And that's something I really had to learn, but I learned it through the pain teacher because financially, um, energetically, all of that stuff, it just was like a million rocks in my backpack. And so now every single program that I create, I do my best to keep myself in check. And of course, I have a high standard and I want the very, very, very best out there for my customers and for people taking it and clients. But I also have to be realistic and we all need to be realistic of like, yo, honestly, this is more than good enough. And so asking yourself, is it true? Now, some other things to, to keep in mind in terms of the shadow side or some of the negative aspects of, and, and this, this touches on what I just said, if you know maybe you do or don't resonate with perfectionism, procrastination, many of us procrastinate. Oftentimes, not always, it comes from, again, perfectionist tendencies and the belief system of I'm imperfect, something wrong with me, the world. Uh, I have this fear of making mistakes and or there's a shame of being bad. Now, again, that is the the driving motivation of the of the type one. But again, if we look at perfectionism, oftentimes we put things off until the last minute, until there's this sense of urgency that we have to do it. And so it's almost like we pin ourselves up into the into a corner or we just keep driving, we keep uh I'll give one more example. You know, for for the longest time, I had this story that I was a horrible writer. Honestly, up until probably this last year. And the evidence that I had to support this was, um, you know, even when it came to social posts, so short posts, for example, or emails, anything written, I would spend hours, like you wouldn't, it's like, this is very exposing right now, but you wouldn't believe how many hours it would take me to even write a simple paragraph. Sometimes it would take me one, two, three, four hours to write one or two paragraphs for Instagram. 
even on a topic that I had a high level of skill and understanding and, and wisdom in. So for example, kettlebells or Bulgarian bags or whatever, just to write one or two paragraphs, I would write and then I would delete and write and then I would throw it away and then write and then I would get upset. No, that's not good enough or these words weren't good enough or that didn't capture what I wanted to say. And then I was spending half the day trying to write a damn social post and I was like, fuck, I got other things to do, you know? And this just isn't a smart use of my time. And same thing with emails, even more so. Like it took me so long. And so I, I tried to hire copywriters and, and that was helpful. But even then I was editing their work and I was like, no, they didn't capture my voice. And so I kept going down this spiral. And what I found was, was just until this last year as I started kind of just studying myself a little bit more and really asking myself deeper questions again, is this even really true? Is this, is what I wrote like really shitty or am I just being just crazy? Am I just trying to bring out this perfectionist tendency that it has to be a certain way, which is, you know, only defined by my values and my code and, and what I've deemed to be right, which oftentimes is a complete illusion. Perfectionism is, is, is an illusion. It depends on how you define it. Um, and so what I, as I started studying myself a little bit more and looking, almost doing like a time audit of how I was working, I started realizing like, you know, I'm actually not that bad of a writer. Like if I'm being honest, like when people read my stuff, like I do get positive feedback or people reaching out that it was helpful or it resonated with them. And I was like, okay, so maybe, maybe there's, this isn't fully true that I'm a horrible writer. I'm a shitty writer. Maybe there's a little bit more here. And then I started diving into, huh? what are the times of day or times of week that actually writing feels enjoyable? Like, does it actually feel enjoyable? Yeah, it actually does. Like sometimes I actually feel like, you know, this, I, I get to express myself in this way. Then I started studying and I started noting down, wow, when I write from the hours of around mm, 8, 8.30 in the morning till about 11 a.m., stuff just flows. Like it's actually, I'm like really stoked with what I write. It's actually easeful. And what I had been doing because I, I had that story that, I was a horrible writer. I kept putting it off. I kept procrastinating it. So I would put, you know, uh, responding to people on social media or writing emails or writing content. It would typically be in the later point of the day when I was tired. And also what I find is in the morning after I've taken care of myself, done a morning routine, whether it's having coffee or taking supplements or having a good breakfast or connecting with Lauren or connecting with Luca, when I take care of myself and then, then I get into work mode, especially in those beginning hours, like I'm sharp. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the most passionate. I am fired up. And so I started realizing that because I was procrastinating so long and I was just tired and that's just not when writing for me is easiest. Wow. I started writing in the morning. I'm like, this is taking me a fraction of the time. Like I'm actually writing these, these emails and these paragraphs in like 15, 10, 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, it's actually getting more reasonable. I'm getting time back. And so I started asking myself, maybe that's not even true. Maybe I just need to have an understanding of myself at a deeper level and set myself up to do the specific task during times of day that I'm actually going to thrive. And so it was such an empowering moment and a healing moment for me because then I started realizing like, no, I'm not so bad of a writer. This is just something that I've taken on. Now, as it relates back to perfectionism, you know, I talked about some of the light and the shadow sides of uh, the type one, which is directly related to the archetype of the perfectionist. But oftentimes when it comes to what I've really found as, as some of the, the ways 
when, when they can bubble over, when the rocks can get so heavy to a point where it's either debilitating or what tends to happen at times is there's some area in our life where we have like an escape hatch. So sometimes because perfectionists in general is this archetype, they tend to have they tend to be very orderly or very structured or try to do the right thing or like, you know, dot all their I's and cross all their T's. And, uh, and that orderly nature may not show up in, ev- in everywhere. Uh, but as a type one, we can have these escape hatches. So there could be certain aspects of our life where because the weight of being a perfectionist can be so heavy, there needs to be an area where we off gas and we give ourselves permission to fuck up or to be a mess because there's so many other areas that we're just like, actually, I'll think back to a conversation that Lauren and I had that brought me to tears when she brought this up, this, this, this awareness. She had said, it seems like you give yourself zero margin for error. And I was like, whoa, I went right into tears. I was like, oh my God, like, that's exactly how I feel. And what tends to happen now, sometimes Enneagram type ones, they'll have like, let's say like a junk drawer, like this one area that's just like a complete freaking mess. Or there will be um, just some area in your life where you allow yourself to fall apart once again, because the weight of perfectionism is so high. That's also how I know when I'm, things are getting a little bit out of hand. And when unconsciously that belief structure and belief system is, is driving to a dysfunctional level. Now, everything that we've talked to this point has been kind of the, the negative or the shadow side. But let me just say, like, there's, there's light sides once again, especially the Enneagram type one. At their best, they're the most wisest, discerning types. Uh, they're very ethical, very fair, very principled. And they have a standard. Now, as light as that could be, once again, we always have to ask ourselves, what's driving it? So until we start looking back, and start looking back into childhood and begin integrating one past parts of ourselves and really reflecting and bringing healing to those areas and integrating them into the present, it's going to be really hard to maybe have a healthier relationship with ourselves. And oftentimes how we, how perfectionists can experience this is through high levels of stress. So if you want to live a little bit more of a stress-free life and have an understanding of what's driving your behaviors, then looking back can be a really helpful way to do this. So thinking about like, who modeled this? Did mom model this? Did dad model this? Did grandpa? Who was it in my life at a developmental level that modeled this? And then the second piece to that is as a result of that model of either what I saw, what I felt, what I heard, did I act in compliance or defiance to that? to those values or to what was modeled. So maybe dad or mom, dad, let's just say, was a perfectionist in all the aspects and qualities and traits that I'm discussing so far. And so maybe you saw that and so you took that on. You were compliant to that way of being or those values and you lived it out yourself. And so now you, you carry some of those traits or were you defiant to that? Because uh, for whatever, it caused pain or maybe you had a parent who was very overbearing and made you get straight A's. And, and so you did at a certain point and then you said, fuck it, I need to individuate and you rebelled. And so you were defiant to what was modeled or what was instilled in you. So all of that is just developing an understanding of how you operate and then what's driving it. Because 
What I've really learned and am continually learning is what's underneath that, this is probably the most important thing, honestly, of this whole thing, this whole show, is what's underneath that belief system, which is something that we've inherited or learned, acquired to get our needs met emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually as children. What's underneath that is not, is, is not that. Those are the glasses that we wear. And so you can think of it, the word that we use is our essential nature. And so our essential nature is purity. Our essential nature is enough, is, is love, is connection, is equanimity, is, is these, these things that, so like when I look at Luca, especially at, at, at his age, man, it's been so healing for me and so such a learning process because when I look at him, I see that essential nature. I feel like I would never label him as you're not enough. No, he is fucking, talk about perfect. He is fucking perfect just the way he is because he is. He is enough. I would never tell him he's not enough. And so it's been such a sobering uh, awareness to have because what if I treated myself like my inner Mikey, what if you treated your little inner child as you would treat an infant in front of you, as you would treat your own son and daughter when, you know, at any point in time, but especially when they're young, you know, I look at him and I'm like, wow, he is the closest thing to source that there is. He is, and especially how he experiences the world before we develop the subject object relationship, before the nervous system develops and matures, you know, according to, to him, from my understanding, I mean, now it's starting to change, but especially when he was born, he was one with everything. He, he, there was no differentiation between him and mom, between him and the outside world. That's also why mom represents his relationship or any infant's relationship to themselves because he was one with mom for nine months in the womb. And then the father represents our relationship with the outside world. The father figure, whoever represents that, whether you, you, your father was present or not, whoever represents that or symbolizes that as a, as a theme uh, represents our relation, our first interaction with what the world represents to us. So, you know, I think I've shared this in prior podcasts, the role of the father, one of the primary roles of the father figure is to represent the world. And what I've realized my role as a father with Luca is yes, to represent the world, to prepare him for the world, but to do so in a way that teaches him to be himself, right? Like so many of us, we all wear masks and multiple masks in different capacities and different relationships, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And so, so much of our work, what I've really realized, so much of the spiritual work is to maybe not so much add more to not necessarily add more courses or more accolades or more. It's more about stripping down or more about pulling away or taking off masks, getting back to those childlike parts of ourselves, which is closer to the truest part of who we are, our essence, our essential nature. Once again, because all of us are love, all of us are enough and we forget that. And because of what society has drilled into us or programming, religion, family, et cetera, we've learned otherwise because um, that's what we've needed to survive in those relationships. And so I don't want this to be like, you know, a purely not negatively focused podcast, but again, there's light and shadow to everything and healthy forms 
of being detail-oriented and seeking to improve is beautiful. It's, it's such a huge asset. However, once it goes beyond, like once it gets out of hand or goes into these healthy, unhealthy levels, I'm sorry, then it can cause suffering and stress. And once again, it's just simply not true. And so a lot of the work, the inner work is connecting back to that essential nature and recognizing that in others. Just the understanding that there is nothing wrong with me, with you, that uh, that we are essentially, you know, at that at that core theme in the way that I'm saying, like, like we are all not not we are not imperfect. We are perfect as we are. We already are enough. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to come to, and in fact, I really believe it's it's my life's work is to, you know, continue bringing awareness and healing to that through different nuances, through integrating past parts of self and and memories and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I will say is having this understanding, especially for me, at least the Enneagram has been one of the most helpful and just clear, no bullshit, helpful tools to like put words into so much of what I've experienced. And I've heard this so many times, more times than I can count from clients and, and those in programs or those who attend retreats. The, the use of the Enneagram through this system that Jason's developed um, is just one of the most tangible things that we can do to understand ourselves and then also understand those that we relate with. And so if you have an understanding of yourself and your partner, or you have an understanding of the people on your team, whether in a professional setting, you can really understand at a deeper level what's driving them and what are their needs and also when are they acting out of fear? When are they acting out of shame? And how can you support them most most um, most beautifully? You know, like Lauren's and Enneagram type two, which is the archetype of the helper, probably the most noble type. Uh, and again, we have, I'm going to anchor this in multiple times, that we have all of these types within us. It's just we have a core type and then we utilize all the other ones as compensation strategies to get our needs met of the core. So uh, people who, let's just say, lead life as a type two, as their dominant type, you know, they are, they're helpful. So they're some of the most compassionate, thoughtful, considerate, just caring human beings. And which is, I mean, what makes her one of the, one of the things is like a big asset. What makes her such a, an amazing mother, like the mothering, like type twos in general tend to anticipate needs, uh, very early, which is also why she spent so many years and does such a great job in hospitality. Like she can remember and anticipate what someone else will need before they even get to the table. What was their favorite wine or what did they like? What was their preferences? And it's really, it's not like, it's not really, I mean, I definitely have that part of me for sure, but witnessing her and like thriving and I'm like, man, this is just like, I would never have thought to do that. But then like with anything, there's shadow sides to all of it. And so the shadow sides, for example, of someone who leads life as a core, core type two is they could be possessive. They could be clingy. They could be controlling. Uh, they could be seductive. They can be uh, oftentimes unconsciously manipulative. Now I'm going to be somewhat careful with how I say that word because I know people who lead life as a core type two, that might be hard to connect with. But essentially what it means is, is like when in, in the unhealthy expressions of this or the shadow sides, when giving or when helping or when doing for others, uh, it's a, it's a, a check or a question you can ask yourself, is there a hidden agenda behind this? 
is, is some part of me giving, helping, supporting in order to get, whether it's connection, approval, validation, something in return. Because each one of these types, there's paths of growth, there's paths of decline, there's healthy, there's unhealthy expressions. Uh, but I want to focus on the perfectionist uh, aspect. Now, we're going to close out today's show just discussing and, and recapping some of the ways that you can support yourself in this. So some additional ways you can support yourself, which has been this question that I'm going to pose here and I'm going to share with you is something that uh, <laughs> has given me a lot to meditate on. This is a question Jason shared with me in my one coaching session with him. And it was something to the effect of what would accountability with compassion feel like and look like for you? How could you not necessarily let yourself off the hook, like still get what you need to get done or, you know, still hold yourself accountable for something. Let's say, you know, you're trying to do a new workout program and you're trying to do X amount of days for you, like still hold yourself accountable, like still have the vision of the goal of the future and what you want to experience. However, how can you be compassionate with yourself and allow yourself grace and, and permission and compassion and ease in the process so that that inner critic doesn't become this uh, just debilitating factor in this, this you know, uh, way that you tear yourself down. Going back to mastering the kettlebell when I shot 400 videos three times or when it took me five hours to write a paragraph for a freaking Instagram post or when I would be very critical with how Lauren, I don't know, does something like cleaning the dishes or something like that. How can we utilize these things as an asset? But compassion Compassion is something that, especially people with perfectionist tendencies, that's some medicine right there. That is some medicine. So I'm going to ask you to reflect on that, journal that, meditate on that, explore that from different angles, write it out. So if you've got a project or your relationship, some aspect of yourself that you know that you really, um, you're really hard on yourself for, and the shadow side of this, this archetype is coming through, how can you support yourself with compassion? How do you celebrate yourself? How do you celebrate your wins? So when you accomplish or achieve something or, 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 or just simply you know, doing something you're proud of, do you take a moment of pause? The next suggestion I'll give is, how do you relax? How do you chill out? Do you feel that you only like you can only earn a pause or the ability to relax after you've accomplished something is that true for you because oftentimes you know perfectionists especially the enneagram type 1 specifically um there's this i will not allow myself to enjoy to have fun to relax to play until i've gotten xyz done can you just simply allow yourself to relax for the sake of relaxing? <laughs> because it's because if you don't, you'll be burning yourself at both ends, the candle at both ends. And that's also like burnout can be really common. I've done that a lot in life. And oftentimes it became it was because the shadow side of the perfectionist was going on so hard and so long that I just drained my life force. And so looking at your relationship to relaxation and inviting that in as a self-love practice can be incredibly healing. You know, another thing, one of the, the biggest medicines for the Enneagram type one is play. So how do you play? 
And it's very similar to the relaxation component. Like, do you allow yourself to play or do you need to earn that? What does it look like for you? Because oftentimes, uh, Enneagram type ones are so focused on getting shit done, so focused on tasking and orienting and stuff like that, that play, for example, can be seen like the way that I've experienced is like, I don't got time to play. I got to get shit done. And so all of these things are connected to specific values and so it's been very hard for me to play over the years and which is why, you know, being with Lauren, for example, and having a partner in your life, whoever that is for you, whether it's a dear friend or an intimate partner, this is why we learn the most in relationship because we are going to get mirrored back parts of ourselves uh, that we may not want to see. And one of her values, not surprisingly, is play. She's very playful. And so uh, at times it can cause friction and challenge because it's very hard for me to connect with that. And so in recent years, it's been a lot of my medicine to play more, to allow myself permission to play, which is also why children can be so healing too. What, is, what do Luke and I do every single morning? I do the morning shift from any, sometimes from 4.30 in the morning until 7-ish when Lauren wakes up. Like today, I was up at 5.15 with him and we spent two and a half hours playing hard, freaking crawling. We were singing. We were playing instruments. I was chasing him. We were giggling. And he doesn't want anything other than my full presence and to play as a child would. And so even though I'm playing with him, I'm also realizing that I'm playing for myself. I'm playing with myself and I'm getting to relearn these aspects. And so spending time around children and observing children, whether it's your own or someone else's, like study them, study how they operate, study how when they make a quote unquote mistake or when they fall down, they don't shame themselves, especially at a young, young age. When a child shames himself or herself and you know whether they make a mistake on the playground or they make a mistake, I don't know, doing something, like they just get back up and get right after it. But it's through programming and what we've, we've driven into them that's when the shame, that's when the inner critic comes out. And so perfectionists are really hard on themselves, which is also why they can take criticism really personally. So if you're dealing with someone who is a very big perfectionist, I would invite you to, you know, be mindful of your words and, and um, you know, not necessarily like be overly gentle, but just like, you know, recognize that they're probably being way harder than on themselves than you could ever be. And so sometimes it can be the nail in the coffin. And so, you know, maybe acknowledging something first that they did well or an aspect of it that you do appreciate and then giving feedback, um, you know, next or however you want to do it. But just understand that if if you're dealing with a perfectionist, they're a perfectionist because uh, that inner critic is fucking, it's, it's a loud, it's, it's very loud. So uh, that would be something I think especially important to keep in mind in an intimate relationship and having a communication structure and working on communication of how you can give feedback in a way that feels like it's accomplishing the objective of what it's trying to accomplish as opposed to uh, just simply shaming someone else. And, and because that can, that can drive the wound even deeper. So ultimately in relationship, we are, it's a commitment to, you know, support the other in their own healing and witness them in their own healing. And if that's really the intention and intention is so important because even sometimes, you know, we could say things maybe not in, in the right way or in the most supportive way, but if our intention is there and our heart's in the right place, sometimes that's all that's needed. And so 
you know, in communication, that's really what I found. Like, even if I'm having difficulty communicating something, I've taken it upon myself as a leader of my family to um, even just voice like, hey, like, this is really hard for me, or I'm having challenges around that. I'm going to do my best here to share with you my heart. And it might not come out exactly as I'm intending, but I'm doing my best. Sometimes just prefacing things with that is, uh, has been a way for myself to disarm part of myself also show the app trying so that I can get to the next step in of communication and build reps and effective communicator, but also while supporting myself and including the other person in, in where I'm at inside. Um, so to sum it up, you know, being a perfectionist, there's, there's many assets, you know, to it, like perfectionists, like get shit right uh, or want to get shit right, want to do a good job. However, it can come at a cost, especially when it's unchecked and when it's coming from a place of lack. So tune into yourself and determine what is the energy of where is this coming from? Where did you learn it? Does it feel more like mom? Does it feel like dad? Are you part or parts of you acting in compliance or defiance to this? Is it even true? How can you invite in more play? How can you invite in more compassion? How can you hold yourself accountable, but still remain compassionate. Uh, I hope today's podcast was supportive for you. This is a lifelong journey for me. And uh, once again, the Enneagram, and I've referred to it many times today, specifically Jason's system, the inner compass, it's been incredibly supportive. Um, and I will just say, if you do want to understand yourself through the Enneagram, this is something that I do regularly offer. It's the first step in all the coaching work that I do. Uh, so hit me up. Uh, you can go to intercompass. I think it's intercompass9.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can get an assessment, uh, which will tell you a lot uh, for sure. However, if you do want it broken down at a much deeper level, uh, you can work one-on-one -on -one with me. You can hire Jason uh, as well. Uh, but it's something that now is, again, the preliminary step one because it really illuminates so much in terms of what's the driving motivations, the main belief system, the fear and the shame, and then also the core desire that is driving so much of how we operate and view and, and see the world and experience the world. So it's a huge, huge asset for personal growth. Uh, so I wish you all the best and have a beautiful day, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.